have you ever gotten on a bus, either uh, public transportation uh, or even a school bus, and see a sign above the bus driver's head that said things like, I will not punch, I will not cuss, I will not kick. Uh, and, and you know, a list of rules. It says things like, I will not bite, I will, I will not punch, I will not kick. But then if you keep on reading, in small print under all that, it says, because I'm the bus driver. And when you read it, you realize that it's a joke, but it's a joke that plays off a principle, right? We all understand that the identity of a bus driver carries with it certain activities. And, and so the least of which is to not bite people on the bus, right? Uh, but that identity carries with it certain activities. We all understand that. Um, we've all been at the grocery store. We've seen this scene before. And you've seen, you've seen a little kid ask for something from mom or dad or demand some candy and not get it. And when the tragedy dawns on them that they will have to go without, they access this emotional bank of resources and then they do what? They're like, why? It's like their whole body cries out, right? And you, you watch the kid drop to his knees, just like his, his knees kind of just gave out and his mom is holding him as though he's, he twists around in agony and saying, why God? Right? And you know, just completely coming unglued. And if they're little enough uh, of a kid, you might feel compassion for them because you know, you realize you haven't learned yet, kid, that life can be hard and you don't always get things your way. And and so, sorry, kid, welcome to this world, right? You have compassion for them uh, because you go, you're a child. And so, all you have is this childish way to respond. And uh, I I always laugh at that moment because I think it'd be weird. For me to think if I did that, you know, um, I want a Snickers and I just lose it in the grocery store. It would be and on to Deanna's arm and said, now, please. And, and right. And like either you would turn away in disgust or you would get your camera out and you would start filming. Right. <laughs> because and why? Because it would stand out as odd. You're you're a grown man, Sean. And, and, and the thought is, man, you've had enough life and you've had enough uh, resources available to you that you should act in a different way. You're a grown man, so act grown. Identity should change your activity. Um, there are arcs. Some of you are, uh, are superhero f- uh, fanatics. You love the, the following the, maybe the Marvel series or, or DC. There's arcs uh, or stories in comic books written about superheroes who have powers far beyond those of mortal men, right? But then they what happens when they don't act heroic? There's those storylines. They don't help people. Uh, they're selfish. They, they just do what's good for them. And those stories, when we read them or when we see them play out on the movie screen, they disturb us because they're meant to be disturbing. Uh, I mean, Spider-Man taught us, right, that with great power comes great responsibility. And, and when people that had been given power aren't acting in a responsible way with it, it's an unsettling thing that you have. If you have a heroic power, you should act in a heroic way. And I've heard people say this before. Oh man, you know, where did Stan Lee get that line? What a genius. Well, you know where he got it? He got it from Jesus <laughs> because Jesus was the one who said, uh, to whom much is given, much will be required. <laughs> so when you hear that line next time, just give a little you know, shout out to Jesus. The, the giving comes first, but then what has been given should change things and it should change how we act. Now, why am I saying all this? Um, we've been in the book of James and this is how James argues. James always argues from 
being to doing, from identity to activity, from essence to action, from the inside out. And so his brother Jesus said it this way, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. That God wants to change us on the inside, and when God does that, there should be a natural change on the outside, that when we receive the grace of God and become children of God, we should live gracious lives that reflect the fact that we know God. And so if God has touched your life, it should change the way that we live, right? That's, a, that's what James has been showing us as we've been going through. This is week five now, right? That bus drivers should act like bus drivers. Um, grown people should act grown and superheroes should act heroic. Christians should look like Jesus, because when the grace of God touches me on the inside, it changes everything. And so this is how James is going to argue the whole. Um, but he's not going to say, just do it, you know, do what you're supposed to do. He, he doesn't do that. He, he says, this is what he does. He says, rejoice in trials. Why, why, James? Because you already know the sovereign Lord who runs the universe is your dad. And he's going to take care of you. Right? Read the, then he says, read the word of God and obey it. Even before we even get out of the first chapter. Why, James? Because the word brought you to life. Because it taught you about Jesus and it, it's planted in you. God's giving you a new power source to which live from become a more powerful life. He never starts with activity. He starts with who we are, our identity. Uh, you've been given a new life that, and that produces a new lifestyle. And James is just calling throughout his entire book for consistency. That, that the outside should match the inside. He calls for integrity. And integrity comes from the word integer, which means one, right? That, you, that, you're, that you're the same, one, inside and out, both. It's all, it's one. You don't say that you believe this way, but then act another, that they match the inside and outside coincide. You have integrity and consistency. You're one. Uh, but so the further I dig into James, there's, there's more gold then I realize in here, it feels like this series might just keep, in, keep on going on for a while. But thankfully, we've got Pastor Patricia, who's going to be sharing next week. And how many of you know, she's just going to bring a load of God's love into this place. That, that's her message. That's the grace that she walks in. So I'm so looking forward to that. Um, so that's, that's what's happening uh, next week. Uh, that's her banner message. It's going to be so, so good. But James is saying, um, walk according to the word of God in chapter one. Why? Because the word has been planted in you and it's changed you. That grace comes first, right? And then he's going to give you an example of all this works. And he started in verse 26, and we've gone through this already, talking about worthless religion. That, that, that's where he said, if anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. What's he saying here? He's saying, if God has changed your heart, it should impact how you talk. It should impact how you talk. And he's really just saying what Jesus said. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And, and so what you say is really just coming out of your heart. Do you see that? And so James is just saying it a lot meaner. <laughs> he's just saying it a lot more direct. Um, James will say later too, yeah, he says that a fresh spring doesn't pour forth salt water, right? If God has made your heart a fresh spring, you shouldn't be salty, <laughs> And so that you should be kind with people. Your face should impact your conversation. How do you know that you have a disease, right? You see the symptoms. Okay, well, we see it and we know. So verse 27, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So he says, when you understand what God did, 
by sending Jesus to visit you when you were needy, um, and he pulled you out of the mess that you're in, uh, when that dawns on you, then, then you will visit those who are in need, and you'll just naturally do it. It's just a matching of the inside with the out. That's how it works. So he talks about the outworking of this religion, which we... we, uh, we uh, the, Week one, we talked about his, when he says religion, we're talking about faith. We're talking about following Jesus. So he kind of gives you two directions that apply to two different kinds of people in the room. Um, and there's some people, when you, when you ask them what faith in God looks like, here's what will happen. They'll naturally talk about social justice. They'll naturally talk about, well, it should look like alleviating the suffering of the poor. It should be about creating equity for all. It should look like caring for those in need. It should look like uh, an external social justice. Other people, when they, they talk about God touching their heart, it's all about personal morality. It should affect the way you talk. It should affect what you let your eyes see on a screen. It should affect what happens in your bedroom, right? That it, it should affect a person's morality. And typically, there are people that maybe love one of these and then isn't as interested as much in the other. And there's a debate sometimes, how many of you know this, in, the, in, in religion, in, in the church world about what is the true expression of our faith? Is it in social justice or is it in personal holiness? Which is true. And, and there's this, and people will battle about it. There'll be a war about it. And the great thing about James is that he just comes into the discussion. He says, yes to both. Pure religion is to visit the orphan and the widow in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. <laughs> that when God touches your life, it should change the way you treat those who are hurting around you, and it should change the way you conduct your life personally. Jesus should affect you in both ways. It changes everything. And, and so uh, let me just give you a heads up. Where, wherever you fall in the spectrum, uh, politically or philosophically, God will challenge us in both of these ways. So everybody should at times, I mean, this is just the reality, everybody should at times when hearing the word of God be, being preached, no matter where you're leaning, feel very encouraged. And then everybody at different times should feel very challenged. James does that for us. That's James and he does this well. Huh? So now today he's taking us another layer deep and talking to us in a very specific way. And here's the crazy thing. He's gonna talk about how it plays out right now, right here in this room this morning. So later, if you're like, is it hot in here? It might be, uh, but because verse one, chapter two, this is what he says. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. He says, you can't, this is what he says. You can't hold both. You can't hold Jesus and hold partiality. You can't hold both. It is inconsistent it is duplicitous. We're looking for integrity, right? We're looking for that one. So you can't hold Jesus and you can't hold partiality. So my question is, what does partiality mean? Let's start with that. Well, the NIV translates it um, favoritism. And I like that. That's a good modern word uh, for us to use this morning. So don't show favoritism. But here's the great thing. In Greek, the language that James wrote this in, <laughs> I like this. this is, it's a combination of two words. This word where we put favoritism in, in the, in the NIV translation or partiality, it's a combination of two words, receive and face, which as far as we know, James made this up. I love that James made up words because I do that too, <laughs> um, because this word doesn't really show up anywhere else. This is, this is where it is. He made up this word that means not receiving somebody's face. That's really kind of how it plays out in the original language. 
not receiving somebody's face. What does that mean? What he means, I think, is I'm not gonna make distinctions and value judgments based on the externals, based on somebody's appearance, that I won't walk into a space, look at your externals and determine how valuable or worthy you are based on the look of your face. He says, don't do that. You can't act like that. And it's interesting, James is about to apply it to um, socioeconomic, like economic status. But, but that word, it's in the plural in the original language. It's partialities, favoritisms, face receivings, if you wanna to go to the original language. And he says, any kind of stuff like that, we don't do it here. That's not what we do. And we all do this. Can I just say this? Can we just let the elephant out in the room? We all do this in different ways. We can discriminate based on how people dress. Isn't that true? We, we, we can dis, d- discriminate on ethnicity. We can discriminate on political affiliations. We can discriminate regionally. I'm from this part of the country or even this part of the state and you're from that part. We, can, we discriminate all the time when it comes to age, right? Those young people today. Oh man, I, I just don't understand them. They're going to hell in a handbasket, right? Or those boomers just don't know what's going on. They're so out of touch. We can discriminate on all kinds of different things, how we look, how we dress, how we talk, where we're from. We're pretty good at discriminating. And just by the way, James isn't saying that we shouldn't see differences, not at all. Uh, that, that can actually be really hurtful when we say things like, well, I just don't see color because uh, God created that color and that culture for us to see and to celebrate. So James is saying, be careful making judgments on which faces we receive and which ones we won't based on externals. We don't do that. And it's interesting. So he says, if if you're writing it down on your notes, he says that we can't hold on to favoritism as we hold on to faith in Jesus. He says, you can't hold both. And at the end of the verse, James calls his brother, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is pretty common. But then he calls him the Lord of glory, which in the original language, the Lord isn't repeated. James calls him the Lord, the Jesus Christ, the glory is how it reads in the original, which is weird. James never says that. Nobody ever says that. So why does he call him that? And so scholars say some of it is, is it's, it's part of James getting at our inconsistency. Jesus is the glorious one. So he says, the glorious one came to you when you were a mess And, you know, we didn't have anything to to offer him. Jesus didn't come saying, you know what? I need to settle, you know, up to that guy because he just got a promotion. I need to get next to him. He didn't do that. He doesn't need that. Or, you know, I need to get around her because she can get me into some certain circle. He didn't need any glory from us. He was already glorious, but he came to you. And so for the glorious one to come to you and then watch you walk into a room and segregate people based out of how glorious you think they are, that's weird. He came to you and you were dirty. And so you don't come into this house and do that. You can't hold both is what James is saying. You can't hold partiality and hold Jesus Christ. You can't do that. That's, I could just like stop right there. That's the sermon for today, right? James is gonna, gonna give us an example. So let's keep on going in verse two. And he says, for if a man, this is where it gets a little real here. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in. Oh boy, here we go. 
And, and, and we'll get into what that, what's about to happen, but let's just set the stage a little bit. He's talking about an assembly of believers. That's the group that he's talking about. He's talking about a gathering of people. He's talking about this room right now, an assembly of believers. Two people are gonna walk in the room. One man is wearing gold and he's got fine clothes on, it says. And that phrase, fine clothes there, is literally the word shining. So the guy comes in, he's wearing a gold ring and he's shining. What is James saying? Well, we know most of our clothes aren't just to cover our nakedness. I mean, functionally, yes, but they're also, they also, you know, project to people who we are. I've got the right kind of shoes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show the, the kids that I'm with it because I'm, I'm wearing the right kind of shoes. I've got the jacket on to show that I'm worthy of, of my promotion at business, right? We dress to signal who we are, right? We're sort of like that. And so this guy has got all this gold on and he's saying, I'm somebody. And it's not wrong to wear gold, but it's just a symbol of I'm a success, right? That's, that's kind of the picture that's happening. Okay, so successful guy comes in and he's shiny, right? Then guy two comes in and he's called poor man. Poor in the original language here is the word for crouched over. It carries the idea of beggarly. And then it says he's got shabby clothes on. The word can mean filthy, it can mean mud, and it's also used many times talking about excrement. So this guy is not just dirty, he's dirty. And so James has set the stage, two people walk into our sanctuary, one shiny and one shabby, one has it all put together, one can barely hold it together and is coming apart, and then James says, what's our response? And so he says, if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet. So the implications here is that they're guests. And and if somebody has a lot of money and that's the only thing you know about them, the externals, you go, oh, you know, look at that gold, you know, come and and sit in this good place. And you look at somebody else who smells bad and is a mess, you go, hey, uh, you, uh, maybe you can just sit in the back. And you know, incidentally, humanity does this. I mean, I think we know this. I, I, I read an article once talking about how attractive people get what they want consistently. Like there's hard data on it. Um, that people who are viewed as more attractive tend to get their way more. I mean, we've seen this scenario. You've probably seen it played out. They're just like, but officer, I don't want to pay this ticket. You know, okay, no, you don't have to. You can go, Right? And, you know, like, wow, okay, some of us don't know what that's like. (laughs) And some of you are like, oh, you don't all experience that? I just just thought that was normal. (laughs) No, we don't. But, But we do this as a society. That's a normal human response. But when Jesus has touched your life, that changes. When Jesus touches our lives, we don't do that because if we do this, if you suction people out, James says, and he asks us a question, but it's not really a question. He says, have you not then made distinctions among yourself and become judges with evil thoughts? Whoo, what does that mean? Okay, James, fire. (laughs) He's bringing it today. Well, he says, have you not then made distinctions among yourself. He says, if you do that, you just drew a divide through the community. You just walked into the people of Jesus, 
the people that he created and you drew a hard line and you put some on one side of the room and some on the other. You put the haves over here and the have-nots over here and you put the conservatives on one side and the liberals on the left. You did that. You literally, the word there is judged through. You made a judgment call and you cut it right through the community of faith. And he says, you put yourself in the judge's chair. You walked in, you pulled up the throne, you sat down and started going, you're unworthy, you stay. You go, you go. You believe what? You're out of here. He said, if you do that, you become a judge. But more than that, you're a judge with evil thoughts. Your sifting criteria is evil You put yourself in an authority when you start judging other people like this, but your whole criteria is not just off. James says it's evil. Why does he say that? (laughs) He's gonna give us three reasons. So the rest of our time, we're just gonna unpack these three reasons that he lists, and I'm gonna give some practical stuff as we go after that. But number one comes in verse five. He says, the problem is you're moving in the opposite direction of God which most people here, you know, we don't want to do that. We don't, we don't want to do that. He says, favoritism, though, flows in the opposite direction of God. He says, verse five, listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? So James points out that God loves the poor. And you see all through the Bible, he chooses them. So what does that mean? It means he deliberately moves towards them, (laughs) right? He doesn't back away. He moves towards those who are hurting and he associates with them. There are so many verses that we could point to where he goes to the underprivileged, he goes to the poor, but we we don't have time to to read all of them. So I'm just gonna read one in Deuteronomy chapter 10. It says, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no what? partiality, no favoritism, and accepts no bribes. He defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the foreigner residing among you, giving them food and clothing. So he's the father to the fatherless. And James points out the fact that God is always moving towards the poor. Jesus had a deep regard for them. Now, does this mean that all poor people are good and, or that rich people are bad? No. Uh, the, the Bible is more nuanced than that, but often in the Bible, here's what we see. Jesus will be teaching and he'll mention the poor, but he'll also mention the poor in spirit a lot of times together. There seems to be a significant overlap in those communities. And so people who often feel their neediness are most receptive to God. And so it's interesting, if you look at the history of Christianity, culture most often changes not from the top down, it's from the bottom up. Think of the Roman Empire, right? Right? It's, it's normally not if we could just get the cool kids to convert. No, it's a picture of God beginning to move among the down and out and the destitute. And they go, God forgives even me. God loves even me. Nobody sees me, but God sees me. And it begins to change the culture from the bottom up. Because why? Because often they're the most receptive. And we see that in history. So Jesus is talking about this. And it says here that God moves toward them, right? And so James is saying... God is concerned about those who are hurting. And if you don't even want to get near them, you dishonor the poor man and you're dishonoring the man that God loves. So you're going in the opposite direction. That doesn't make any sense. So as Christians, when God has touched our life, we know Jesus came towards me when I was a mess. So I'm moving towards those who are a mess. 
right? So that doesn't mean we get in unhealthy relationships. That doesn't mean that we enable addictions. This is where it can get complicated, right? The end of the sermon is not so give money to everybody on the street. It's not that. That's absolutely not what I'm saying because it can get really complicated, right? We know that. Uh, But as believers, we have to say, if I'm coming into a hurting city, I've got to come in and go, man, how do I help people who are hurting in a way that's not paternalistic and condescending? That's actually, it's actually what our staff, our whole team, we just took our our staff meetings for this whole month and a few others of you that are are attending with us. And we're getting some training right now. Love Inc., uh, organization that we love, is leading us through a course called When Helping Hurts. And and week one was just so good. I can't wait for the rest of it. But regardless, here's here's the thing. I I love that James doesn't just say give money. He doesn't, doesn't. He doesn't say that. This isn't a talk about giving. He says, visit the orphans and the widows in their distress. How do I come and say, you know, you're, you're, you're made in the image of God like me, and so you have dignity like me, even though you come from a different political background. Even if, you know, we, we might think differently, different nationality, we have different social interests, even though we're as far apart as we can be in some ways, you have dignity because you were made in the image of God. So sit here next to me. Sit, I'm, I'm not going I'm, I'm to put you at my feet. Sit here right next to me and talk to me. That's what James says to do. Does that make sense? That, that, that's a lot different than what we see played out a lot of times on social media, right? When I really felt this, I, I think uh, I was a college kid. I was being mentored by this guy. I've mentioned him before. His name is John Collins, the lead professor of the School of Youth and, and Family Ministries, the, the program that I was in at CFNI. And uh, I remember he would take us around to different uh, youth events that were going on and um, different ones that he was even speaking at and engaging in. So we'd go around and he'd just drop like these nuggets of wisdom, like these leadership things, like as we go, like when we'd, we'd talk as we go into the mess hall at camp and he'd be like, do, you know, do whatever you want, do whatever you want. But whenever I walk into the lunchroom, he said, I just pray, God, who do you want me to sit by today? He said, you know, sometimes it's my friends, people I know, but if I just sit on my own accord, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna, I'm gonna walk in and look for the people who are my age or the guy who brought me to the camp who I wanna make sure likes me and I'm gonna go sit with them. And he said, but if I walk in praying, God, what do you have for me today? As often as not, I end up sitting in a really unexpected place. My eyes will just lock in on somebody and many times, often it's somebody that is sitting by themselves. And I watched him do that and it, I remember that. The weird thing was years later after he had already passed and suddenly I was traveling and I was leading worship and speaking at you know, youth camps and doing that thing, which wasn't something I expected. I, I found myself doing all the stuff that he had taught us. You know, he, had, he told us not to look at the amount on the check when we were the visiting speaker until after we left so it didn't affect the way that we ministered to people, right? Um, he told us, he told me not to hang out at the pool if I was traveling by myself because that could be awkward, that could look awkward. Um, you know, some common sense stuff. But I also found myself walking into the lunchroom saying, Lord, who do you want me to sit by? And I can't tell you how many times God ended up doing some really amazing, I mean, just really cool things just by going and sitting by that one kid that Holy Spirit said to go and sit next to. Time after time, God showed himself in kids' lives just by sitting by those who weren't maybe my first choice. And then crazy thing, 
I remember now is how I was that kid <laughs> so many times. I was that kid. I, I, some, somebody came and sat by me. Somebody, Holy Spirit directed somebody to come and sit by me and love me. And this is how it works. When grace touches me, grace received becomes grace extended. I move towards them and I wanna move the same direction as God and I wanna be going where he is going. Which incidentally, this is a separate sermon, but this is why you go to church because you, know, you and I talk to people. You've heard people say this before. Amen, church is two or three believers coming together. My roommates are my church. You know, I've got a couple of friends. We pray together and we hold each other accountable and, and that's church, man, that's church. And the problem here is that your church happens to look exactly like you. Same clothes, same outfit, same interest, same leaning, same everything. So you're not kicking the poor guy out. You're just making sure that he can never even find you. And so call it special, but James is gonna call it something else. So I'm, I'm not saying that you don't gather around to encourage and love one another and support one another. I hope you do that. That's the beauty of the church. I want you to get plugged into connect groups. And you heard me talking about that earlier. That you get around in a, a group of people that will love with you and pray with you and support you. And if you happen to have the same jackets or whatever and the same clothes, that's great. It's normal. It makes sense. But then gather with us, right? And you guys are here this morning. Be around people that are not like you at all. <laughs> and that's why God does this, Right? That's what makes the church gathering special. It's this thing of beautiful diversity. And that is what church is meant to be. It's okay to be shiny. It's all right if you're shabby, but we all sit together. And that makes sense. That's how Jesus rolls. And so that's how we roll. We speak to one another with grace. And if you don't do that, James is pretty much saying you're going the absolute opposite direction. Okay, thanks, James. Thanks again for that. <laughs> Number two, uh, right, right why, so why do we show favoritism then? Because we do it. Why do we do it? James is gonna get underneath all of that and he's gonna say, number two, well, your favoritism shows a lack of faith. And this is what he says. This, that's what it is. And he'll do it with these parallel questions. He says, that, he says three, he asks three things. He says, are not the rich the ones who oppose you? Aren't they the one who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Now, I don't want to get too far into what was happening in this moment, but remember when James wrote this letter, he said it was to those who had been scattered. The religious persecution had sent them off. So they arrived in nations where they were destitute and they were oppressed. Some of it was probably because of their ethnic background. A lot of it was probably because of their spiritual background. And so some of this, James is being very specific. It's the rich people in these nations that are oppressing you, which still happens all around the world today, right? But again, the Bible is more nuanced than just saying all rich people are bad and all poor people are good. It doesn't say that. I mean, we know Joseph of, of Arimathea, he had money. He had a grave site in Jerusalem on the side of a hill and they buried Jesus there. So you can be rich and you can be full of faith. You can be poor and full of bitterness and anger. You don't get into heaven by your economic status, be it good or bad, but James is looking at these people and this is what he's saying. He says, look at what you're doing. You're kissing up to the haves and dismissing the have-nots. You're walking into a room and you're making value judgments based on faces and you're moving towards some groups and away from others. And he says, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? The reason you're doing that is because you're hoping that some of the people who have will elevate you. That's why you're not moving towards people who are not, you're, you're actually, you're moving towards people who are not honoring God. They're not exhibiting love. They're, they're oppressing you. They're not being gracious. They're exploiting you. So why do you keep kissing up to them? Because they're shiny and you want some of that shine on you. That's what he's saying. 
And so often in the workplace, we still do that today, right? What do you do? And if, you can, if what you can do elevates me, then I'm moving towards that. You know, if what you do doesn't elevate me, then there's no reason for me to keep hanging around. That's how we treat people. And, and Jesus says, now when I've touched your life, because when I, when I, when I came to y'all, you were a mess and I loved you. And so when we walk in this room, there's gonna be people who have money and there's gonna be people who have no money. And there's some of you that are riding high right now and we're gonna love you. And when you ride low, we're gonna love you too. That's how the family of God works. And how are we gonna do that? How do we keep from being kiss-ups? We trust God with our lives. That's what James is saying. That you go, I can treat them both the same because God determines my story, not anybody else. Do you see that? We're meant to be a fountain, right? We're talking about it earlier. Even as I was praying for Chinna, that was the, that was the, the vision that I saw. Uh, that river, that source that flows out from us, the river of life flows through us. We have the grace of God. And we're to be a fountain that waters everybody wherever we go, that we're so full of Jesus that the overflow just kind of splashes out everywhere. That's what I love about Jesus. You know, he will sit with the Pharisee who's wealthy on the roof of his house and talk to him about the wind blowing. (laughs) And then he will sit by the woman at the well who's alone in the very next chapter. Jesus will sit with the high and he will sit with the low and he treats them the same and so do we. It's interesting in Genesis, uh, Lot is a compassionate figure, but he cares a lot about money. And we see him through the story, move, he moves closer and closer to some wicked people. He's, he's, he gets on the council of a wicked city and you see then he's, consist, he's constantly trying to impress them. And by the end of it, that trying to impress him had got him no respect, right? They, it, they mock him and they don't respect him because he's, he's, he's a kiss up. And at the end of it, he loses everything, even his family. Abraham, when we watch that story, he won't do that. He won't kiss up to the kings in the region. He, he lives his life and he's friends with people who are from very different from him. The Bible makes that really clear. He's friends with the people from a wide variety of nationalities and backgrounds, but he's following Jesus. And you see that at the end of it, all the people that Lot was trying to impress, they didn't care one thing about him. But Abraham was standing in the king's valley among the kings of the nations. He was standing on equal footing. That if I have faith in God, then I can walk with integrity. And that integrity will impress people. I got to trust God with that. The last reason why favoritism is not for us, number three, just keep on following James here, the lack of love insults the lawgiver. Now, let me paint a picture here. This is, let's just read it first. He says in verse eight, if you fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, favoritism, you're committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. What he's saying there is the same thing Jesus said. What was the fulfillment of the law? What Jesus said is to love people as much as you love yourself, right? That's from Leviticus because the Old Testament law can get pretty granular, right? If a guy loses a donkey, go track down the donkey. I mean, you know, it gets in the weeds a little bit, but Leviticus says, you know what? If you love people as much as you love yourself, you're fulfilling the whole law. You're doing it all. And James is saying here, if you're loving others the way you love yourself, you're doing good. But if you blow that part off, it's like you blow off everything. And then he says, verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. What he's saying there is there's, there's people that think, you know, I'm gonna obey this law 
but I'm not going to you know, worry about this one. I'm going to take what the Bible says about loving the poor, and I'm going to do that, but when God starts to get into my sexual ethic, no thanks. Or I'll let God impact my screen time and, and, and what movies I'm going to watch, but I don't really care about the suffering people in my city. And James says, no, you can't do that. Don't do that. You, if you pick and choose, it's like you're, you've broken all of it. And why does he say it that way? He says in verse 11, for he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So what's interesting is he's saying, I don't care about as much about what law you're breaking, but if you pick and choose like that, who you're offending is he who said. Who's the one who said those things, right? The real issue here is not what law you're breaking. The problem is insulting the lawgiver. And so it's like this, just to paint a scenario. If Deanna says to the kids, go and clean your room, <laughs> and one unfortunate responds, nope, not doing it, there's gonna, you know, th- th- there's gonna be trouble in the house. And, and if they're responding, as the judgment is coming, well, well, I already finished my homework and I brushed my teeth, so I'm good. I would say no. You're still in trouble because you didn't respond well to your mother, the lawgiver. <laughs> you didn't just violate some law that she gave, even though there is some importance to that, but you violated a person. She has given so much for your benefit. She has loved you beyond what you can understand. So you violated her, not just some law. You violated a person. Do you see that? That's, what, that's the picture James is painting there. And so when we decide, well, I'm gonna like some people, but not another. I'm gonna love some, but not others. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give preference or favoritism and not do so much about those who have been oppressed, which is not just a modern problem, by the way. This was happening at the time that this was written. When we do that, God takes that personally. God says, but I love all of them. I love all of them. And, and I know that kid is, is winning right now, but he's going to have a hard time coming. And I want you to love him when it's hard. And I know that that kid is a mess, but I want you to love him in the mess because I'm working on him. And so God says, I want you to love all. That's why James ends this section by saying, if mercy has touched your heart, mercy is gonna come out of your life. But if you're acting, if you are a merciless person, you are selfish. When grace touches down, it changes everything. Does that mean we're perfect? No. (laughs) That's why James is writing this book to us. We're all a work in progress, but we should see the symptoms if we've got the disease. If God touched my heart, we should see it in the way that we treat people. And he ends the section by saying this. This is the verse we opened up with. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I love that. Bob, you can come up. We're gonna close. The best thing that we can do, I think, is just to be like, well, okay, James, you know, you you got me. (laughs) I'm prone to judgment. But praise God that he didn't bring judgment down on me. He brought mercy. So let me not bring judgment down on the city. Let me bring mercy. Let me not bring judgment down on someone from a different ethnicity. Let me bring love and mercy. And let me seek to understand before I seek to be understood. Let me lean into a relationship with a question rather than an assumption. How many people need to hear that in our society today? We look at the externals 
and we make an, an assumption, we, we make a judgment call, and then we attack based on assumptions about what we believe about them based on what you're wearing, based on the color of our skin, based on a political party. That's why the world can't even talk to each other anymore. And the church cannot and should not do this. The world may look at the external, but we don't. Jesus broke through all of our walls and loved us, so we break through all of theirs. So if they're from a different background and you don't understand if they're from a different political affiliation and that's where it's gonna get real pretty fast for a lot of us, let me just ask a question. How are you representing Jesus to that other party that you're so much against? Because my question is after the world reads your post or your pronouncement on social media, do they feel invited into Jesus or have you just drawn a divide bigger than the Grand Canyon that they can never cross? think about it. Whichever side you land on, what do you want to happen to the other side? We need to cast them out into the other darkness with the gnashing of the teeth. No. You want God to touch their heart and change their lives, right? And by the grace of God, they might be sitting right next to you right now. <laughs> and you're going to have to work it out, but we're not going to let politics rip apart the church. That's not how it's gonna work. We don't judge people based on externals. We cannot hold faith and favoritism in the same hand. That doesn't mean we can't disagree on ideas, but we can respect people, right? And love them. And so let me just encourage you as we close, I wanna challenge you with three simple things. Three simple things. Pray for the people who aren't like you. Pray to understand. I remember my youth pastor walking me through praying for a guy that was bullying me, like really bullying me, really, really, really bullying me when I was in middle school. So God, here's the prayer. God, help me to see what they're going through. Help me walk in their shoes a little bit. I, I don't know what would happen if that happened in my life, if that was where I stood. I don't know how I would respond with that set of factors. I don't know if I grew up in a neighborhood like that, how I would respond. I really don't know. Pray that God would give you an understanding. Number two, proceed, right? Move forward. And I would say with wisdom, <laughs> in conversation with people who are not like you, with wisdom. Like, like don't walk up to somebody who's outside, out of, outside of their mind on drugs who can hurt you. They're, they're difficult, real difficult situations out on the street, right? So I'm telling you, be smart. I'm not just saying go out at 1 a.m. and see who I can meet. Probably don't do that. But I want you to pray, hey God, who's somebody that right now that whenever I think about them, it's like a little bit of bile starts to come up in my throat. <laughs> Help me to show them love and mercy. That maybe I just need to sit down and go, hey man, tell me your story. I don't want to dismiss people. I wanna slow down and say, Lord, give me a heart to understand. Give me the courage to proceed and to intersect with some people not like me because you came to me when I was a mess. Third thing, provide. There will be a place where we need to step in 
And I mentioned it earlier, our staff is going through this training right now. We're trying to figure it out as a church. How do we best be the church to a community that's in need? How to, how to best do this as a, as a church in our community, loving our community. Love Inc. is here to help us do that, and I love that. But as the people of Jesus, if the city doesn't feel the effects of our existence, something's missing, right? So now let me encourage you just by way of how we're working out that here as a church. Are we everywhere that we want to be with needing the needs of the city? Are we everywhere we need to be in healing the wounds in this region? No, but we're trying and we're learning. And let me tell you, the way we're doing it is, you know, we're, we're trying to meet organizations in the city that are already doing a really good job of serving people and they have the pipelines to provide real good for people. So we've linked up hand in hand with organizations like Hope Center, you know, whose passion it is to pick people up out of poverty and love them out of it. Love Inc. has become a real close friend and a partner helping us to network with other churches in the city to help provide furniture and linen and classes and warm meals and on and on and on, all in the name of Jesus. And I didn't ask Linda to give me a number, but I can say with confidence, even during this whole COVID mess, when it hit our economy, we as a church have given thousands to missional movements in our city and across the borders. And let me just say this by a certain way of talking about it. We didn't even really have that money to give. <laughs> if I could be honest with you, it was like, okay, God, we want to be the salt and the light in the city. And we are trusting you, God, to pay the bills. You are our provider and you will take care of us. But we are going into the city church. That's what we're called to do. And I feel really good about that. We're trying as best as we can to give to, so that the city feels our presence. And in your context, this is as practical as it gets. Get out of your house and get to the, know, the names of your neighbors, right? Love them so well that they can't help but notice. The city should know that we're here. So anyhow, being a part of this church, I just wanna let you know that we're trying to help all of us leaning into the hurting in our city. So if you're like, how do I do that, Sean? It's overwhelming. Well, first of all, keep coming back, right? There, there's, there's all kinds of people here that aren't like you. <laughs> And so let's journey together. And then together we're gonna to reach out into the city and we're gonna meet needs. That's what the church is designed to do. But as it comes to you, I would encourage you to start praying, God, who do I need to show mercy to rather than judgment? Because that's what you showed me. That's what he did for us. I'll just close with this. That's what he did for us while we were Sinners, Jesus gave everything for us. What does that mean? It means while we were walking away, while we were blowing him off, while we were writing him off, he came towards us. And when we get stuck in our own bad choices and our own bad decisions that were our fault, he didn't cancel us, right? He didn't write us off. He didn't dismiss us. He came and sat with us in the dirt and he loved you right there. He spoke tenderly to us and he was kind and he took whatever sacrifice he needed to take for our benefit. He loved the homeless he, 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 and he lived homeless. Only one pair of clothes, right? The scriptures say. He died on a cross. He said, I'm gonna do that. Buried in a tomb, I'm gonna do that. Rise from the dead, you got it because I'm gonna take all, everything, your tragedy. I'm gonna bury it in the dirt and then I'm gonna rise. And when you trust me, you rise. Your eternal identity is a changed child of God and now your activity is changed. 
come with me towards the hurting in your office, towards that difficult person, towards what Father God is doing and let his grace touch you and then through you, it'll touch others because when the grace of God touches you, it changes everything. Let's stand. Father God, woo. <laughs> Father God, thank you for your word to us this morning. Little challenging. Getting out of, into, into our business a little bit. And Holy Spirit, I, I just pray that we'd receive it with all the grace and love of a loving Father that you are. God, you came to us. That's what, that's what we want to do. Help us to not hold people separate. God, you showed us. You showed us. You showed us so many times in the scripture. Hold, help us not to hold people separate from us. No favoritism in your house. God, I, 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 Holy Spirit, as we lean into you, I just know that this is something that comes natural. It's not a striving. It's not a, it's not a, a struggle, but the, the more that we lean into you, Father, the more that our eyes are open to our brother, to our sister who is with us, and we invite them to sit with us, to know them and to love them like you did. God, I pray that for all of us this morning. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna invite you into a relationship with Jesus. If you haven't done that, maybe you need to resurrender your life this morning. I, th this isn't a moment that just, just a magic moment, but this is just an invitation to say, yeah, I wanna start on that journey. And I, I, I have a prayer and some words I wanna lead you in just to get started on that journey this morning. So you already know, if that's you, maybe there's been a tugging, this little internal voice, that's the Holy Spirit whispering to you saying, yeah, now's the day. I came for you, I gave my life for you. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I've come to be a rescue for you. I've come to, to be a firm foundation for you. So if that's you, with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you just lift your hand if you're in the house this morning? I wanna pray with you. Either I, I, I wanna give my life to Jesus for the first time or I wanna resurrender this morning. Thank you, God. If you're watching online, uh, we're with you as well, and we're gonna pray this with you. So every saint, every, every person in the room this morning, let's pray this out loud together. Father God, I give you my life. All that I am is yours. Thank you for your word to us this morning. God, I wanna surrender all that I am to you. You gave your all. I'm gonna lean into that and follow you with my life. In your mighty name we pray, amen and amen.